Welcome to a very special PAX episode of Game Club, the podcast that's like a book club, but for video games. I'm Dan, the unexpectedly short Q. And I'm Charles, waiting for cues that he really shouldn't. This week on Game Club, we were going to talk about Yoshi's Island, but we've thrown that aside for now because it's PAX time, baby. Charles, you and I went to PAX and we're going to talk about it. PAX. I mean, Yoshi's Island's great, don't get me wrong, but PAX is the biggest gaming thing that happens in Australia uh, with with no competition at all. Uh, So, I mean, we got to talk about it. Absolutely. So uh, on the show, I think we're going to talk about Monster Hunter, a couple of uh, tabletop games, VR, of course, a bunch of other indies. Uh, But first up, uh, I want to talk about some of the stuff we specifically went there to do. Uh, I went and got a couple of interviews with uh, Level Up Dice. Um, Charles, have you seen sort of the the dice stuff? I know you're a a big wargaming guy, but have you seen sort of the, the custom dice that's available up there? Uh, I haven't seen the, though I might've seen these guys specifically. I haven't taken note of like the brand names, but I've seen some custom dice like bone dice and like titanium, like alloy six stuff going on. Uh, I've never got into it myself, but I've always, I've always watched from afar and thought, wouldn't that be glorious? I think it's more of a role-playing thing than a tabletop wargaming thing. I presume. Yeah, especially with a lot of those tabletop games, they end up having sort of, I guess, they, their own custom dice, especially yes. Fantasy Flight, right? So Fantasy Flight has their custom dice, obviously. Uh, and then anything else, like so 40K, it's, you know, the main one has, you're rolling like 60 dice. So if you bought 60 bone dice, not only do you have a whole dinosaur on the table, but uh, you're not going to have any money left. We, uh, we got to chat with Alex, uh, the director of Level Up Dice, and they make uh, dice out of copper, brass. Uh, they make sort of UV blank dice. So when you roll them, they look blank. And then when you put a black light over them, uh, you can see the number. (laughs) So convenient. (laughs) And they also make dice out of tungsten, which is uh, one of the heaviest, uh, which is a metal with one of the highest melting points uh, of any metal, any natural metal or something. That's important. If I'm playing a game in a volcano, I want to know my dice are going to be, are going to be fine. And they're called the table destroyers, apparently, and they're about $180 for one die. So all set sets you back. That's it. And of course, so when you're playing war games, you're often playing on textured and flocked and painted tables. Uh, so to be rolling these metal destroyers of tables would uh, would be it'd be really rude. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you'd want to try. Yeah, I asked him about it, and he was saying that um, they obviously saw a niche in the market where it, you know this isn't you could you could drive your regular Holden cruise uh, to work, which is uh, sort of how you and I get around in your, sort of everyday ma- every man car. Uh, but this is sort of the Ferrari of the dice world, I guess. Yeah, sure, <laughs> it, like man. you really just want to show it off, and you want to show that yeah, I'm really into this hobby. <laughs> I mean, rich pe- people play D and and they want they want rich people toys, so that's fair. Yeah, so that was one of our uh, interviews. Another one, of course, uh, we spoke with uh, Stephen O'Donnell, uh, also known as Barger from Good Game. So people can expect those two interviews to uh, to get up on the website soon. Um, do you want to talk about that, or I want to hear what you what you got up to at PAX because you were you were there for one day. Yeah, so I only did one day this year. So I've always done three uh, in all the PAXs that I've been to, which is I, you know is most of them except for the first one, which was a bit of a bit of a crash. Um, but I decided this year, look, I'm only going to do one because my time's pretty precious. And in past years, when I've done three, I've been utterly exhausted at the end of those three days because it is, it's big. It's like you're surrounded and barraged by light and noise for these three days straight. You know, you're catching up with friends, you're going out at night, you're just, you're going hard, you're forgetting to eat, 
you're forgetting to drink water because you're gaming too hard. Uh, and it's exhausting. And I finished this, you know, my previous three-day benders um, just shattered. So I thought this year I'll be a bit nice to myself. I'll just do one day and see if that's enough to see everything. Uh, it was not. So I think the best way to, will be to do two days in the future. But in the one day that I was there, I really had to prioritize, which you know made it a little exciting. So uh, I really wanted to get into the indie tables, uh, not the indie tables, the indie games, uh, the indie section there. And I played a few that we'll talk about later. Uh, I wanted to try Jedi Challenges. That was a big priority for me, which I saw you played as well. Yeah, I, I played that on the first day and had a lot of fun. Like, I wasn't super impressed. We'll, we'll dive into Jedi Challenges because that's... Yeah, so, do you want to describe dive. sort of the setup? Yeah. Yeah. So, they had four little um, AR setups. So, uh, AR? Augmented Reality? Yeah. Yeah, um, Augmented Reality. So, they have their own... Essentially, it's Lenovo or however you pronounce that. They're the um, the makers of the system, which is a headset. Uh, and a lightsaber that you hold and then a little sensor that goes forward of you. Um, and then uh, you know, Lucasfilms through EA, I assume, or through whoever, have uh, developed a game to go on it uh, or a few get, a few mini games essentially to go on this system. But the two aren't necessarily intertwined exclusively. So I talked to the chick there and she said that the system may potentially have future games on it in you know the future uh that aren't just these star wars games i'm like i feel like you'd really want to lock that down before you release your system but whatever but yeah so it's augmented reality it's got these few star wars games on it but it costs 400 bucks now a vive or whatever um an oculus costs like what 900 a thousand yeah something Um, like that so like it's half the price of those and it did not provide half of the quality of those systems what's your thoughts yeah, I, I mean, the once you get over the novelty of it, and look, the, the first part is fun. Holding a rec- replica, uh, replica lightsaber and yep. deflecting shots is yep. amazing. Like, that part is amazing. Being able to see your own hands as well, because it's augmented reality, not, vi- uh, not virtual reality, does have a certain aspect to it as well. But the graphics weren't quite where I needed them to be uh, for that immersion to be to be right in there. Yeah. And the mini games themselves, you can play sort of the virtual chess that, uh, you know, Luke and... Um, was it Battle C-3PO and Chewie play? Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the chess that they play on the Millennium Falcon. Um, where you let a Wookiee win. Exactly, and I think they're they're releasing maybe something to coincide with the movie, as you would expect them to do the the new movie coming out. Um, the, in the end, yeah. there's like a strategic game as well, where like ATATs walking on the floor. That's the one that actually looks the coolest, but I have no doubt it will be not even slightly deep and pretty shitty. But you know, they're trying. They're throwing some things out there. Yeah, I think the future is in augmented reality. I think uh, virtual reality is going to run its course somewhat um, and and people are going to start clamoring for that AR experience. They're going to want to be able to see their own rooms. Uh, there are obviously a lot of problems with uh, VR in terms of um, motion sickness and your balance and things like that. And I feel that AR might be able to address some of those issues. You may be not wrong because when I was like, it was quite a physical game with the lightsaber as you're deflecting the blows as, of Kylo as he, uh, as he slashes at you. And uh, yeah, look, I, there was no sickness or any disorientation at all because you see what you're doing and you see your hands. Um, but he's kind of a ghost, isn't he? It's because it's augmented reality. He wasn't solid. Yeah, I guess that's the other thing as well. So you're not, you are sort of a, a foot between worlds kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually really upset that you got to fight Kylo. I just got to fight droids from episode one. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, that's rough. 
It was still kind of cool that I could just cut droids in half if they got too close, but it was still just that, that had that taste of episode one that is still, you know, I had to drown that down a little bit. Sure. That's it. Uh, Yeah, no, I got to buy Kylo, which was, which was sweet. And it was actually quite intense. So the way it worked was that he was swiping at you um, only a few times at first and you had to put the saber where he was going to swipe and it told you where to put it. And you're like, well, that's simple. But then it was like 10 in a row and you only had like a second to move it to the next place which was uh which was really cool and it, that was quite intense so look i think the game itself is good the headset i was a bit iffy did you find that the um the vision that you had to look through was quite thin yeah i'm i'm not sure sort of how they're projecting that ar um i think they mentioned something along the lines of getting a phone in there and things like that in the future or, or if that's sort of the basis of it i didn't get a chance to pull it apart mm. um but uh yeah the, the actual fil- where it's projecting onto seems a bit flimsy so uh they're putting it on a screen in front of you not projecting it directly into your eyes yeah yeah correct and the screen that they're putting it on is quite restrictive and quite thin and that kind of the immersion was ruined for me uh, at that stage. I felt like I was wearing a really weird helmet that I could only see a little bit out of, I guess, which is fine if you're Kylo, but I mean, you know, Ray's not wearing a helmet. Yeah, that totally breaks the immersion. Yeah. If, if I'm losing my peripheral vision, yeah. I want it to be because I'm in a weird Stormtrooper outfit or a Kylo outfit. Correct. All right, so we got... um. AR, let's let's move into VR, and this is more of a disappointing story than anything else. Uh, we sat down and watched some people play Star Trek Bridge Crew. Now we've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah, it's my dream. It's my it's my gaming dream, and it was there. There was a room set up uh, near the diversity lounge that had four seats in front of tables, and they had four big screens set up with sort of post-it notes to tell you which screen was was for which role and you could sort of sit there and watch people play star trek bridge crew uh, me uh, josh and some others um emily as well were, were sort of waiting and we were like oh maybe we'll, we'll hang around for it but the wait time for it was about an hour and a half two hours yeah right. um not because there were that many people in front of us but it's because each session was That's a good so sort of 15 minute half hour session yeah um so if you if you could get in there at a good, at a good time Definitely, I think that'd be worth it and a fun thing to do with three three friends. Yep. Uh, or, you know, go out and buy a $1,000 kit each. <laughs> do it <laughs> yeah, from home. <laughs> Plus the PC that you need to run it. So, if you have a lazy 12 grand to drop, that's that's the obvious choice uh, as, a, as a group of four. But yeah, I think next year, I think they'll have it again because I don't see anything better than that being released in the next 12 months. Uh, and we'll just, we'll just make it happen. That'll be a priority. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, what else did you get to see? Uh, see at PAX, you really liked. Yeah. So, uh, look, <laughs> liked. Um, we spent some time in the tabletop area looking at kind of demo games, and I actually played two demo card games, and I really liked the aspect of them being, you know, fresh, new, upstart demos. What I didn't like was the fact that they weren't very good. Uh, I, I can can I jump in here and, and say because I'm looking at a demo deck in front of me now that I that I brought back to the hotel room. Yep. Uh, could you be talking about this Justice League game we played? <laughs> That's one of the games I'm talking about. Is Justice Le- League or on the back of the cards? It's called Metax. Uh, sure. Uh, we got some cool promos out of it. We got a demo deck, which is very very generous uh, and nice. But we we're playing the game, and uh, Dan uh, and Emma were playing their game, and I was playing with Emily. And it came to a point in the game where we just didn't have any options, and we couldn't actually play our round, and we had to just skip to the next round. And I've turned to the to the girl that's kind of talking us through it, and I'm just like, it's not great game design, uh, and that that got a little awkward. Uh, and I, you know, I kept my mouth shut after that. But I'm playing this game, and I'm thinking, what were you guys thinking? Like, 
how did this get to a point where you're actually producing it and trying to sell it? Because it's just so poor. And I just don't think there's a space in the market at the moment for bad card games because there's so many good ones out there. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to throw shade on the podcast. Uh, this was from Panini. Uh, this this game they've got obviously got a license deal with Warner Brothers and DC to make this Justice League. Uh, the you know the art on it is great. The thematically, it it's kind right. of kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's it's it's, it's comic stuff. Uh, and they were talking about you know they wanted to get licenses to to other other IPs and sort of introduce Attack on Titan and maybe uh, you know this that and the next thing because there are other Justice League or DC card games out there. I think so. Warner brothers is being a bit free with its license it's just giving it to anybody apparently yeah but we did and whether it's whether it's the game mechanic itself because i know that you know sort of a half excuse there was oh well these are demo decks you know they don't really have <laughs> or, you know you'd probably have a better amount of cards or whatever so you'd always have yeah, something to do ridiculous if i built a demo deck that was going to be the selling point of my game and convince people to buy my game i would make that a very clean and good experience yeah, because we didn't actually see Magic the Gathering this year. Wizards of the Coast was noticeably absent, mm, but previous years they've had a big booth with Learn to Play, and their demo decks are sort of uh, are smaller decks, uh, but they do have all the cards in it that you would need to to play a short demo game and learn Magic the Gathering. And I think yep. obviously they're a big company; they've been around for a while. But you know, if you're if you're a new uh, card game developer, you need to maybe look to them and kind of steal some of those ideas on, on how to get that demo deck working well. So you get that good experience the first time because you're only going to get one opportunity yeah, that's to, it. So to win someone gonna, over. Yeah, I'm only going to play this once. And if I don't like it, well, shit, I'm not going to drop money on it. The, uh, the other card game I played was Dragonborn, which is from the same people that do Vanguard, which is apparently hugely popular in Japan. Um, it's kind of their, their magic, I guess. Um, Although they may have magic as well. I have very little knowledge of the uh, Asian market of collectible card games. But uh, I played Dragonborn and look, that was a better game. But once again, I mean, it's this generic kind of fantasy setting. Uh, It's not breaking any ground with new mechanics. I'm just like, I don't really understand why this game exists. Um, When FFG are just just dropping bombs and making amazing titles that are taking us to new places. Are you sure it's not just your Star Wars Destiny bias? Because I know, you know everyone, everyone who listens to the show knows that you do swing that way. No, I'm not even talking about Destiny. So I'm talking about uh, Game of Thrones, the card game, second edition, which came out about two years ago. Uh, and I'm talking about, of course, L5R, which, uh, which you got a chance to play. Uh, now, this I've had a, quite a good look at and I've played a few games. And I think it's very elegant uh, and mechanically brilliant. What did you think of L5R, Dan? Yeah, so we actually uh, we first cracked it open last night. Um, L5R, Legend of the Five Rings, is sort of a remake just in the last two weeks, I think it's it's released, or the last couple of yeah. weeks. It's a remake from Final Fantasy, uh, not Final Fantasy, uh, Fantasy Flight, Flight Games. Yeah. Sort of a remake on an old IP that they took over, and they've sort of reworked the mechanics, taken the theming, taken the eight clans or seven clans or whatever it is, uh, and, and sort of built it from there. Look, it was difficult to get started. Mm. But we played a second game today with a bit of guidance uh, from people, I think, from uh, Good Games or General yeah. Games or so yeah. around that area. General Games. Yep. Could be, yeah. Um, and with their help, once we, and once, you know, because we'd already played it once, we were getting into the flow and setting off great combos, chains, and sort of, you know, I'd play a card and get interrupted. And, you know, there was, we could feel that strategy and there was a lot of it. Yep. Um, it looks very daunting going in, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> it does. And that's what I found as well. So I saw demo games that have been played about a month ago and I've seen it on the table and I'm just like, I do not want anything to do with that because that looks like you really have to think. Uh, and you do. But um, but once you've played a few games, I mean, everything makes sense. There's a lot of tokens going on, a lot of stuff and cards all over the table, but uh, they all have a purpose and they all create a uh, quite a brilliant interaction and a lot of tension between different resources, uh, which is what you want in a good strategy game. So that that was the winner for me uh, that was on you know for presentation at the uh, for on the card game level mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and, and i think i haven't played much uh, magic the gathering but with the seven clans i think there's sort of seven different play styles um, and, and there's a couple of different victory conditions and i think it plays sort of like you know your your red deck in magic is is a certain way and your your blue deck is spells and things like that um, legend of the five rings does something very similar there Yes, correct. Kind of. Yeah, they got the Crab Clan, the Unicorn Clan, the Dragon Clan. <laughs> all, all those fantasy, you know, fantasy Japan yeah, clans that you clans. Lo- know and love. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Unicorn Clan. Like, they've been around for ages in Japan. Uh, Scorpion Clan's my favorite. I love it. But uh, but we'll move on. So, that was kind of the tabletop area. Uh, let's move back into the, the PC gaming world. Uh, talk to me about indie games, Dan. Yeah, well, uh, you're probably going to have to tell me more about the indie games because I played more AAA titles like Monster Hunter World. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a sellout. Uh, <laughs> but very reasonably so. That that looked very cool. I didn't play it, but I saw the pictures of you playing it. So we'll start with indie. Uh, let's start with AAA and end on indie, actually. So Monster Hunter, tell me about it. Is it coming to Switch? That's the big uh, question I've got. No. So the oh. previous Monster Hunter games I've played... Is it a uh, Japanese game? It's a, yeah, it's a Japanese Capcom game. Yeah. Uh, previously, it's been coming out on uh, 3DS. And the, it came out on the Wii U. Right. Uh, so one of them came out on the Wii U. A Switch? Uh, but then the most recent one only came on the 3DS and not the Wii U. So mm. it was just all over the place. But a lot of the games, even on the Wii and the Wii U, just looked like resed up versions of 3DS games. Okay, so they're already maybe struggling a little bit with how it looked. However, on... The PlayStation 4 version we played, and I assume the PC and Xbox One version that are going to come out as well. Mm-hmm. This game looks amazing. Um, it doesn't look as cartoony. They don't, haven't haven't had to go for that, and I was a bit worried because I I don't I'm not a big like oh this needs to be realistic graphics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they've nailed the aesthetic. They've added in new mechanics uh, like being able to swing from trees, you know, with like a grappling hook and things like that. Um, so so you feel like Spider Man when fighting monsters. I wanted to be Spider Man. Yeah. And instead of just going into an area and having all the areas separated with the extra hardware power. It, the map is just all one thing so there's yeah, there's nice. no uh well each each area you go to the whole map is just one zone there's no loading times between you know the, there's none of those weird cut scenes mm. so you can actually like track your prey and follow them without these these little interruptions yeah, nice. um which you don't notice until they're gone you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, and some other stuff we looked at, we looked at uh, the new Forza game on Xbox. Um, <laughs> racing. It is racing. Um, so Xbox had a big thing there. Um, and that that looks amazing as well. But all the Forza games have looked incredible. Um, just if you're, if you're a big racing car fan, which I know some, some people who listen to the podcast are. Uh, but I did see, speaking of the Switch, I did see big cues for people to play Skyrim on the Switch. Oh, no. Why are they queuing? They've played that game before. Well, maybe they haven't. Maybe this is how they're getting into it. But uh, Skyrim being... There's a generation that hasn't played Skyrim, isn't there? But I mean, because Skyrim's what, seven, six, seven years old now? 
It's got to be. I mean, this and this is people queuing for Skyrim on the Switch when also Mario Odyssey is there to be played and the new Fire Emblem game. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, Mario Odyssey launched, uh, dropped midnight on Friday. Is that right? I think you got a copy. Uh, midnight on Thursday. It was uh, Friday day. It was available for purchasing and I purchased it then and I've been playing it and it's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, that's, that's enough talking about those AAA games. Let's yeah, uh, talk about the indies, the ones that need a bit of, uh, need a bit of attention. <laughs> that need a bit of sprucing. So, uh, look, I played a few that really impressed me, uh, and I saw a few others that I didn't get a chance to play but impressed me. So the ones that I got to see but not play, uh, and there was only one that, uh, that really looks cool that I wanted to play but didn't get to, and that was called Putty Pals. Uh, mainly because it was on the Switch. So Putty Pals is two balls of putty and they're kind of helping each other get through puzzles and maps. Um, and it's co-op and they're these adorable little balls and they hold hands and it's just gorgeous. Uh, and I really like those kind of co-op games where you're helping each other uh, achieve one goal because I think that's a whole new level of co-op that we've never really touched on previously. Often co-op games are you've got two avatars and they're doing independent things that succeed in a goal but the interaction between them is very slim uh whereas to get through all these puzzles these putty needed to jump on each other or like throw each other around or you know do cool stuff so i thought that was really clever uh, it feels very ice it looks well, not doesn't look but it feels very ice climbers uh if you've ever seen those there's two little ice climbers especially yeah. in smash bros yep. you know they, they use each other to help get up areas and things like that it's very much you can attach it to each other you know use momentum to launch or um or get either side of a thing and yep. and, and spin around and stuff uh, yeah, and i think that's perfect for the switch Oh, exactly. Uh, and it's, Sniffer Clips did it wonderfully, but that's the only title that I've seen it do it really well. Uh, so another one will definitely be welcome. So uh, I'm probably going to grab that, which will be a bit of fun. Uh, but the ones that really impressed me, uh, so firstly, Forts, uh, which is already available on Steam and has been for quite a while. Uh, I don't know whether it's in beta at the moment or whether it's you know fully published, whatever that means these days. Uh, but Forts is by earthwork games and uh essentially you've got remember worms uh not worms oh, absolutely worms was, and lero yeah there was kind of like there was a tank game though where you're on two sides and you had your tank and you kind of had to just adjust the barrel angle and shoot at each other mm-hmm. did you ever play that like, uh, yeah, I believe so. And you, you had to sort of adjust for wind uh, and yeah. things like that and terrain uh, yep. to try and arc it up and over. It's sort of like a worms without being able to move. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, this is that, but a thousand times better. So forts is you're building uh, a fort. Uh, and while you're building your fort, you're putting in like power, you're putting in weapons, you're putting in anti, you know, missile defenses, you're putting in shields, you're doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, and your opponent's doing the same on their side as well, but it's re- real time. And you can shoot at each other while you're doing this. And there's real-time physics, so you can undermine their base and have it collapse. Or you can try and target their uh, their power generator to make the whole thing explode. And there's all kinds of different weapons. There's, you know, lasers, there's missiles, there's forts, there's snipers, there's mortars. And it just, it's a really cool idea. And I really liked it. You, I think you got a bit of footage of me playing it. Uh, yeah, so we'll put that up uh, on the Facebook page or uh, on the website. Uh, it looked really cool. I, were you playing against someone else? Because I noticed, you know, the guy sitting next to you, a lot of his shit was on fire. I'm not sure if that was because of the amazing work you were doing. I don't think so. No, I was just playing against the computer. It was a bit of a demo game. They had a they had packs in the background on the uh, on the map there, so that was kind of cool. But no, it was just a demo game of the computer doing a very poor job and letting me just decimate them and feel like a big man. So. Well played, Earthworks. Well played. 
Awesome. Yeah, I think that's 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 one we definitely want to keep an eye on uh, along with that, that Putty Pals. What else did you get to see? Uh, another one that really impressed me, and I think this is actually their last year, um, it's called Dead Static Drive. Um, and the art with it was really cool. But what it had was these worm things. So you start off, uh, I don't think you start off there, you start off in a car maybe and you drive into this town uh, and there's these worm things that chase you around like huge worms and pop up from the ground and like either try to attack you or flip your car. What's that movie with the giant worm things that pop out of the ground? Uh, Tremors. Yes, Tremors. So it's like that in a game essentially. Uh, and you get into this the demo that he was showing, you get into a cafe kind of thing and there's people in there and you need to uh, drink some coffee to stay awake. And I had to urinate in the game. I mean, who doesn't love a game where you have to pee in the game? In the game, yeah. yeah. Where's Catherine when we need her? This is very Sims. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, uh, and apparently it lasts for 30 days within the game and a different story happens each time and you find more about it each different 30 games that you, 30 days that you play through and there's weapons and the cars. My favorite thing about the cars was that the worms flipped them and I just, it was just really clean and the art style was fantastic. Uh, so dead static drive really impressed me as well. Awesome. We'll put links to that, uh, the trailer for that. Cause there's, um, you really have to sort of see it and see that sort of crisp look that, uh, that Charles is talking about. Yeah. The art style was, uh, was what won me there. Uh, the third indie title I want to talk about that I played was called Veal of Crows, uh, which was a really ambitious title, which was a real time strategy title. Uh, and essentially, I don't know, it's kind of a mix between mountain blade and Warhammer total war, I guess, uh, or any mm-hmm. total war, let's say medieval total war. Um, and so it can be just on a normal battle, but it really shines when either you or the enemy are in a bit of a fort, uh, and you've got all your different troop types, you've got your catapults and your siege weapons and all that kind of stuff. And they've made it so that each individual, individual fighter in there kind of has their own AI, uh, in that they're blocking with their shield in actual reaction to their opponent, uh, and then counter attacking, uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's the intent at least. So very ambitious for an indie title. Uh, I think it was like, you know, two guys making this thing. Um, so good for them. Look, the, the version that I played still an early version, uh, it worked pretty well considering, uh, and he was actually using packs to find out about a bunch of bugs and work out what people are going to want to do and what he has to fix. So that was really cool, uh, that he was using it as that opportunity. And I think if he, if he nails down those bugs, uh, Ville of Crows is going to be really cool for those old school and really deep real-time strategy fans. And for those of you that pronounce words correctly, it's Veil of Crows. <laughs> you are correct. Uh, yep, maybe. maybe yep. No, no comment. Who <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can say? Uh, it's, it's my Australian accent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. So, so Fort's Dead Static Drive and Veil yeah. of Crows yeah, uh, are sort of the three main packs of Indie Risings uh, to sort of keep an eye on. I did walk past. I didn't get to see uh, Daniel Sun, but I did see Armed with Wings Rearmed make a yeah, reappearance. I saw uh, that at PAX. That's pretty cool. Uh, obviously, an old game club game we've we've played. Uh, but there was a lot. I think that indie space is growing. Uh, every year, I think that indie space is getting bigger. There had to be like fifty, maybe more games uh on on trial there so that was epic yeah i know emily and i played sort of a japanese it was, it was sort of a japanese language but also kind of a candy crush you know <laughs> switch things to make you know uh the the kanji happy kind of game that was like a little bit of fun yep um and, and whatnot so like there's there's plenty to do and especially with the indies the one of the good things is there's almost never a queue um so yeah, you can just really get in there and you can two people 
Yeah. And you can chat with the the developer. You're not chatting with sort of a marketing rep. You're chatting with the person who made it. And like you said, you can give a bit of feedback. I heard you talking to uh, the Vale of Crows dev and saying like, oh, hey, I'd like a little, like, you know, when I, when I issue commands, I'd really like it to sort of give me an indication that it's, that my command has gone in or, or, yeah. or whatever, right? Um, a bigger thing with that was uh, Intergalactic Space Princess, uh, which is another title that I played, which was a female developer, actually, which is really cool. Um, Izzy Gramp is the founder of that one. And essentially, it was a bit of a story-driven point-and-click game. Um, and I played it through and it was, a, it was a bit of fun and kind of cool that it's uh, touching on different areas and with a female protagonist, uh, which I'm always on the lookout for uh, with my own little female daughter of my own. Uh, and at the end, she's like, you know, any tips, any hints or like things you'd like to see improve? So, yeah, I talked how I'd like my uh, interactions with the, the background point and click to be a bit more visceral. Uh, and I want to see, you know, little animations to confirm my interactions. Uh, and she's like, that's excellent advice thank you very much for that do you have anything else uh so that's that's really cool you get to feel like you're helping people and and play games at the same time as opposed to the you know blank face dead sold uh people at the triple a yeah we um emily and i well emily played a game and i sort of watched her play as i chatted to to one of the devs uh a game called florence on tablets it's um you're this sort of young girl and it's a story about falling in love and the the puzzles are quite simple but they sort of move you move you forward so you're sort of creating these text uh text bubbles above your head um as like puzzle pieces to put it together so you can continue the conversation but there is no text in them so it's all the all the feeling of this game and sort of the what's happening between these interactions with characters, you just have to infer from the art uh, and sort of where the story goes. And it's sort of like, oh, they're moving in with you, and you're going to change how your your apartment looks. And you know, some of the some of the choices you make don't really matter, but it sort of reveals a little bit about you. Like, do you decide to get rid of your red toaster for a, a gold toaster or something? Right? Yep. Um, do you throw out your bike pump for an umbrella? Uh, and just like it was, it was just a very cute little, um, cute little game that uh, Emily had a, a lovely time playing. It really connected with her, I think. So yeah, nice. um, yeah, I think that was that was really cool as well. And just you know, it was fun to be able to chat with the dev as we we're talking about, um, and and hear about sort of the little some of the paths they went down, why they didn't continue yeah, down that path, and why they changed, and get a sort of an insight into into game dev from that. Yeah, well, that's it. Like anyone that's interested in game development, if you're not going to PAX uh, in Australia, you are wasting your time and you need to sort that out uh, and get in amongst it and just learn from, uh, from not only the panels, but all the, all the developers on the floor. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone who likes to sort of take apart games or overthink games a little bit, uh, which is great. That's what we that's what we love to do. But uh, if you ever get a chance to to head up one of these expos, absolutely do it and speak to those indie devs because they're the best ones to get access to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, talking about cute little games, uh, I only bought one game at PAX. Did you Did you buy anything uh, apart from L Five R? Not. No, I don't think so. That's yeah. it. Uh, mine was a game called Sparkle Kitty. Uh, which you got to play with me, uh, which was a lot of fun. So it's great to see this is a board game. Uh, and it's great to see that there's now games for everybody of every age and of every interest. 
Uh, and this really drives it home for me. So Sparkle Kitty uh, is a board game where you get to play one of kind of kick-ass princesses. Uh, like there's Princess Punch and Princess Business, Princess Toad. Uh, and you're trying to, as the princess, you've decided, decided to escape from your own tower. You don't need no help. Uh, and and that's what the game's about. And it's about kind of a, a card matching, a symbol and color matching game where you're escaping from your own tower. Uh, so I just really enjoyed that there were these really serious titles there, but there are also really cute titles that are the different kind of people could enjoy. And that's really cool. Real diverse, you know, in the kind of games that we're seeing these days. Yeah. There's a game that you mentioned you want to get a, just cause you enjoy playing it, but also like, Oh yeah, that, that could be a game that your daughter would, would really enjoy when she's sort of at the you know age where she can yell out sparkle kitty and jiggle giggle <laughs> and, and things like that yeah. and rainbow jiggle giggle and, and things like that. So uh, I had a, I had a great time playing that game and I would play that with adults and, you know, I, I wouldn't be afraid to pair that with maybe a little bit of drinking and, yeah, and yelling out, you know, um, sparkle glitter and, and, and octopus, um, weasel and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, just as you play, cause of course you've got to yell it out or else you get, you get, um, you get penalized if you don't yell out the fun words. You do. That's uh, that's part of the interaction, making it oh, making it fun. Some some games are, and again, I don't want to throw shade. I like to sort of keep a positive eye. But we we also played fake news, and that that just didn't hit just didn't hit the points for us, right? It It had such potential. Uh, I think the issue was that, uh, as you said, while we were playing it, it didn't define the parameters of the of the game and the awarding of points well enough, I guess, Um, because it has points, and then it has this little fake news token. Now, if I'm playing a fake news game. I want to come up with outlandish, fun, ridiculous fake news titles, which is kind of what you were doing, and you were you were just getting slammed for it. Oh um, yeah, I was getting destroyed yeah. because I <laughs> you well, always caught up in the end. But it was it was. I would like to think I had the fun, like I had some of the funniest headlines, right, but they were, they were absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, which no one appreciated. So that's rough. I may have I, been, you know, fostering a campaign against you, but. That probably didn't help. That's also true. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a little bit like Cards Against Humanity where, some, you know, there is a subjective nature to awarding the points where it's like, you know, but Cards Against Humanity outlines what you think is the funniest. Yeah. Uh, fake News tries to step it up and say, all right, which one do you think is the best based on the audience you card you've been given? It's what do you cool think idea. is the second best and best isn't defined and then what do you what would your audience think is is fake news Mm. um so i guess the whole point of the game is to craft serious headlines which is also not as fun so one wants to do that yeah maybe if they could even reverse it and just say the object of the game is to be the fakiest of fake news to come up with the most ridiculous headline because that's way more fun Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, I want to talk about uh, just a couple more things before we wrap this up as it's yeah. been a very long weekend. Uh, I looked at a lot of amazing computer builds. Now, I know, Charles, you're not really a computer <laughs> I mean, tech I head. Them. I see them and I enjoy that they exist. I don't know why you, you would need one, but I appreciate they exist. For other people. I think they're a conversation piece. And I say this because some of those big rigs are built to look like SpongeBob SquarePants. Okay, excellent. Or, or there was one that was like built in to look like it was in a in a mountain, and it was a wizard tower in a mountain, yeah, and they'd made little bits of furniture that go in the in the box next to your motherboard and and graphics card and stuff. That I can appreciate. I'm really disappointed. Did you get a picture of that? Yeah, so we got some pictures of that. The the um 
the SpongeBob one is up on the Facebook page now, uh, and there's there's other ones like there's like a Pirates of the Caribbean one that that won an award uh, that has a sinking ship being dragged down by a kraken oh, in the bottom of the yeah, of the rig. Really cool. yep. And there was also a giant PUBG one in the Master Cooler uh, Cooler Master I should say area that was essentially like a bombed out building with oh, like wow. car tires and things like that splayed around into a total art work i don't remember seeing that at previous taxes is it like a new thing the towers are becoming art i think they've had i mean in the past they've had you know the liquid cooling the yeah, neon sure. lights you know yeah. that sort of cyberpunky kind of idea mm. the chroma that sort of razor loves and, and thermaltake loves <laughs> but uh, this year they yeah they had some on display and they had cards of the artists who made it and sort of a little essentially like an art installation piece saying oh well this won this award and and yeah, this was done in 2016 and yeah, was and done by this artist yeah 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 exactly it was, it was almost like walking into a bit of an art museum yeah. while also like we trance music is pumping around you as people try and play games just constant trance music uh, it's exhausting and one thing i want to touch on i'm not sure if you noticed it but i certainly did over because i was here over three days is a lot of these computers they're showing off the rigs and how powerful they are and how you know how amazing the graphics cards are and the, and the hard drives and power supplies and headphones and whatnot but so many computers yep. were playing PUBG, which is Everything not was playing PUBG, Everything which is not an optimized PUBG. game. It's not. I don't know if it's play. officially released yet, and it's not even yeah. a, a. You wouldn't call it a graphically <laughs> fidelity game. It's, it's like an indie kind of like great game. Love what it does. Extremely popular, but it's not about the graphics. So that was fascinating. Yeah, it's not the kind of game you'd want to sort of show off your graphics. However, I saw tons of people playing it. So it's obviously they've just gone, you know what? This is the most popular game right now. We'll just put that and Overwatch on everything. <laughs> yep. So that was like interesting choice. They obviously did it because they wanted people to play it more so than they wanted people to appreciate what the machine could do. Yeah, that's it. I think they were just saying, hey, jump on the computer and, and click clack on our mechanical keyboards and yep. hopefully buy one, please. And that's it. Be impressed. Well, I think that's going to probably about wrap it up for us uh, tonight on the last day of PAX. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before we go? Uh, you haven't talked about your D&D in the Diversity Lounge, which probably oh. took up like, what, eight hours of your time over the three days? Um, yeah, at least, I think. Uh, <laughs> so I was in the Diversity Lounge Friday and Saturday night. I ran a, four sessions of D&D for about sort of seven to eight people per session. Uh, I had an absolute blast. I was knackered afterwards. My voice voice is, is shot. I'm amazing uh, at talk at all. Uh, my voice is almost shot after one day. Yeah, absolutely. But everyone who came through was super lovely, willing, you know, to try new things, work together. And uh, thanks to Diversity Lounge and Diversity Lounge, specifically um, Allison and Karma, who sort of run the show a little bit there and help sort of pull all these people in. Uh, and there was just more and more people wanting to get a part of it. So I was speaking. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm so impressed there were that many people that wanted to play D&D as a bit of a demo new thing. That's really cool. I know that's some throwing shade at D&D, but there were pe <laughs> we had to turn people away. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I even spoke to Gus, uh, our mutual friend Gus, and because uh, he was in there sort of watching me DM, and he, he's been DMing a little bit as well. I was like, oh, man, next year you should come in. We'll get you know two sessions going at the same time and things like yeah. that. So uh, we are able to give away starter sets as well, thanks to Wizards. And, that's very cool. Um, and and it, you know, all of PAX is meant to be a safe space, of course, but 
even more so in the diversity lounge, it's just more on people's minds, how they interact with others. And so I think it is a really good space if you're new to something and maybe you're a bit shy, uh, you can sort of go there and go like, oh, look, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dive in here and I know that there's no judgment. Uh, I may, I may mess up, but that's okay. And, uh, and really just getting over that hurdle is, is one of the biggest things in D&D. So, um, no, I think it was a really good spot to put it. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, really cool. I, I really enjoyed that safe space aspect of PAX. Um, the big thing that really drove that home for me was the cosplayers. Uh, obviously, a lot of beautiful women in beautiful costumes, uh, some more revealing than others, but others just absolute pieces of art. Uh, and that they feel so comfortable and safe at a place like PAX is just says a lot about the community uh, and a lot about the event and the culture behind it. So, I thought that was really fantastic. Oh, absolutely. I think the enforcers are doing a, a great job. Sometimes, you know, not, not praised enough for keeping those, uh, those lines straight and uh, keeping people out of the walkways. I've, uh, I've been an enforcer previously and it is a tough job. So that's awesome. And they're all volunteers. Absolutely. So shout out to those guys and, uh, you know, shout out to PAX in general and the rest of you listening to the podcast. If you didn't make it this year, try and uh, consider going next year to your closest PAX. Uh, even for some of our overseas listeners, it is it is certainly an experience. Um, but we're going to sign off there. I've got to prepare my body now for a 24-hour marathon for charity next weekend. Of course. Um, what's on your agenda on the in the gaming space, Charles? Uh, let's see. I'm going to play some Tabletop Simulator Legion. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, and then do some uh, some filming for Gate uh, Gatekeeper Games, which uh, is developing a YouTube channel at the moment for kind of board game reviews and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then maybe some Destiny on that Thursday night as well. So lots of stuff. It just keeps going. The train never stops. Absolutely. So keep an eye on uh, nonfictiongaming.com slash charity for the charity stuff. Yeah, we'll be putting up our interviews so. with Barjo. Uh, we just put up the interview for uh, Level Up Dice, and you should be able to see this week more videos from Charles on the Star Wars Legion channel. Certainly will. All right, we're going to leave it there too. Thanks for listening to Game Club, and um, you know, like, subscribe, yeah, all that good stuff. We'll let you get back to it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.